You're listening to CSB Broadcast, your local connection to what's happening in your community and at Community State Bank. Good morning, everyone. Happy to be here today. Um, a special guest with us today on CSB Broadcast. Uh, he's a uh, Korean vet. Um, he recently was uh, participated in the Honor Flight, Stars and Stripes Honor Flight out of Milwaukee. And uh, I'm very proud that uh, this gentleman is also is my dad. Uh, Jim Moyer, thanks for being here. And uh, a lot of these stories I've heard before, but uh, I think over the years you've been pretty tight-lipped about talking about your service. Tell uh, tell me and tell all of us how it all started back in the 50s, uh, starting when when you, when you got drafted, you got plucked off the farm in Yorkville back in the day, and uh, tell us about how that all worked. Well, I was uh, 21 years old, and uh, the Korean War was uh, on, and they started drafting guys, so I had to go up to Milwaukee, up to the VA, and had a big physical. And then on the 7th of May of 51, I got drafted and uh, uh, went down to Fort Sheridan for a couple of days and uh, got uniforms and shots, and I can always remember the shot line, you know, that you're going through and there's half a dozen guys with needles giving you shots. It seemed like the needles were all dull, but <laughs> but this one guy didn't move ahead after he got his shot, so he got another one. <laughs> so um, there was one of the shots, the left arm you couldn't raise for three days, three, four days it, uh, by itself. I don't know what it was for, but everybody had the problem. But then I got sent to Fort Leonard Wood for in Missouri for uh, 14 weeks of combat engineer basic training. And after that, um, they were sending most of these guys to the Far East. But this particular group I went through they, with, they sent to Europe, to Germany. Well, I got sent to school at Fort Belvoir in Virginia. And after that, uh, I got sent to the Far East and got to Korea. So, you know, but uh, I, I saw a lot of the sites in Washington and uh, very interesting. Then uh, some of the things that we uh, saw on the honor flight, we I visited when we were there, when I was stationed there for a couple months. And, uh, the, and then uh, I was in Korea for about 10 months and in um, 19, got there in December of 51 and came home in October of 52. And uh, I was involved, uh, I was not involved in combat. I was uh, involved, I was at the K-13 airfield, which is uh, about 30 miles south of Seoul. Uh, our outfit was, uh, working on making the K-13 airfield bigger and everything involved with that. So I was fixing vehicles. There were uh, the F-80s, the F-84s, and the F-86 jet planes uh, that had not too long before that had gotten into service and they were uh, going, you could hear them going, taking off round the clock when the weather was good, going up, uh, and uh, dropping bombs up in the uh, North Korea area or the 38th parallel area up in there somewhere. 
you, you were telling me, or you've told us, talked about in the past about Grandpa, your dad, my grandpa, was in World War One, and and where did he serve? So this is a, you're the second generation, and then Charlie, my son, your grandson, is also in the service now. Where did Grandpa serve, and what what was his? Uh, what were his duties? Well, my father went over in, in, he, in 1918. He was over in, uh, he got into Germany. And he, he didn't say a whole lot about it, uh, except they were moving up to the front. He was involved in the medical corps. And um, they, uh, he, he got some terrible earaches he talked about. They were sleeping on the ground and all that kind of stuff in the winter. And, a German woman uh, helped him out, did something, treated his ears, and uh, fixed him up. And it, uh, he did speak a little German. He had, when he was growing up, they spoke some German where he was growing up, so uh, that was helpful. And so he was over there, and um, he, he, when he got home, he wore out his uniform working. He didn't save his uniform. and. Uh, uh, all I've got of his is his gas mask. They had, they were using gas um, back in World War One, mustard gas, and everybody had gas masks. So we've got that, and that's the only thing I've got of his equipment. Charlie took that to grade school show and tell one time. Yeah. You know, back a long, yes. A long time ago. Um, so uh, I know when 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 Chuck went to basic here a year ago. Uh, you had given him advice and s to say keep your, your ears and mouth shut and your and, or your your mouth shut and your ears open and your head down. Well, and, uh, he, he he talks about that a lot. How how was basic training back when you were there compared to how how we think it is now? Well, basic training, you know, the um, the guys that learned to do what they told them to do without questioning it got along a lot better than the people that lipped off or talked back or questioned it. You know, the, the whole theory of basic training is uh, you do what I tell you right now without questioning it because if you get into such situations farther out, if you're in some combat something, the guy tells you what to do, you don't question it, you do it. Well, that's the whole theory in basic training. Do as you're told and do it now and don't question it. Well, I've heard that a lot growing up from you. Yeah. And I wasn't even in basic training. And the guys that, uh, that question it, you know, they paid a price. <laughs> you know, uh, I can still see guys jogging back and forth holding their 12 or 13 pound rifle with a bayonet on it up here and they have to jog back and forth around that. You know, that gets tiresome and they have other ways of, subtle ways of uh, getting your attention, do as you're told, and don't question it. You know, like I say, keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut. <laughs> and and, and, and that's, that's, that works very well. <laughs> you, uh, back to, uh, so, you know, you grew up on the, on the farm that we still own today, obviously, our family. And um, so you heard that the, 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 they were starting to draft people. You must have heard that on the radio or something, and then you got a, a letter in the mail, or how, how did that all work? Well, you, you, you had, uh, um, first of all, you had to register. And uh, I don't just remember where we went and registered, but everybody was registered when you were, I don't know if it was 18 or whatever it was. 
And then uh, pretty soon uh, we had to go up to Milwaukee and have a physical. You do that and then uh, you wait and see and then presently the letter comes, your friends and neighbors, it kind of, you know, the draft, there's a local draft board. And I don't know if you remember Harvey Spriggs. Remember the name. He, yeah. he lived out there in Dover. He was involved in a lot of stuff in those days and other ones on the draft board. You know, they had a thankless job and also they rationed tires during World War II and, you know, different stuff. But he was on the draft board and they had to draft so many guys. That is, they're, they're given a quota, bring in this many people. So we, on the 7th of May, I got the letter uh, on the 7th of May, I had to be in at uh, Memorial Hall at seven o'clock in the morning. My dad took me in and then we uh, went to Milwaukee up to the, I guess it must have been the, where the VA is up there. And we got sworn in and we had one more physical and they took us down to Fort Sheridan, which was down just south of uh, the state line on off I-94. And well, it was down, it was along the lake too, I guess. But anyway, there we got uh, indoctrinated and got uniforms and uh, shots and and were there a few days and then uh, some of the guys were sent to Fort Jackson, South Carolina for a basic training and I was sent with a group to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. We had 14 weeks of combat engineer basic training. You learn how to march, you learn how to, uh, uh, you get rifles, how to use them, clean them, and take care of them. You, uh, you shoot uh, some, some machine guns a little bit, you do a little bit with hand grenades, uh, learn how to build bridges. So in a matter of a, of a short time, you, you were, I mean, you, you grew up in Yorkville, you rarely, you always said you rarely were ever out of Yorkville. Then All of a sudden you get plucked out of the, plucked off the farm and they ship you. Um, that was your first, first, uh, it's not a vacation, but first time you'd ever been away from the farm, really. Well, I had been to Chicago once or twice and to Milwaukee five or six times, but you know, we didn't go anywhere in those days. You got, uh, you've talked about the, the boat ride in the past. It was, I don't know how long it was, but uh, t t they threw you on a boat and they shipped you to Korea. Well, we, we went, uh, we, we uh, were, we had to be out at San Francisco. Camp Stoneman was about 20, 30 miles south of San Francisco on the east side of San Francisco Bay. And we had to be out there at a certain time and we were there I don't know, three, four days, and then they were shipping us out. We So we went up to, uh, the, I think the boat was uh, docked at Treasure Island in, in uh, San Francisco Bay, and we got on it, and I don't know, there was two or 3,000 guys, and uh, they were, we were down below the, below the water line in our area there. Were, the bunks were four or five high, and, um, you know, before we were out of sight of land, you know, guys were getting seasick. And that gets to be a terrible mess. And back then they didn't give us anything. So, you know, that's how it is. <laughs> and I was okay. 
until I had to go to the head. The heads are the latrines, or they call them heads there, and, and guys were losing it all over, and mm -hmm. it got to me. How long of a ride was it? A boat it how was many days? 11 or 12. It was 11 days one way, and it was 12 days the other way. I don't remember which was which, but to get to Yokohama, Japan. And so we were on the ship. About the fifth, sixth day, I was feeling pretty good, and I was going through the chow line, and this guy in front of me was going through. He looked kind of peaked yet, but he got his, got his stuff on his tray, and he got to the end of the line, and he looked at it and lost his lunch all over his new lunch. So <laughs> Ellie's making faces here, Bob, but that's good. But, uh, you know, that's how it is. Uh, now I guess uh, now I guess they give you some stuff for seasickness, and and I think nowadays they they fly them. To, but these troop ships, you know, they're they're great places to not be. Mm -hmm. But what are you going to do? So what was the reception when you when you finished your service over there, ten months or whatever you said it was, and then you they shipped you back on a boat. And uh, you got off the boat, wherever it was, I'm assuming, back in San Francisco it was again. It Treasure Island. Okay, there when you even came back. San Francisco Bay. And what was, was it like when you came back? What was the, no fanfare, no... Well, we, we knew we were getting close, but it was very foggy you know, coming in, and we heard foghorns all morning. And then all of a sudden, you know, we looked up, there's the Golden Gate Bridge right above us. And... There's San Francisco Bay. Uh, part of it is in fog. There's a ship anchored out in the middle of the bay. Half is in fog. You can't see it, and the rest is bright sunlight. And uh, that was great. So we pulled into Treasure Island, and there was a band playing. Hmm. And then we we got off the ship, and we were quartered somewhere there. And I remember there were four of us went into San Francisco that night. I don't remember just how long we were there, four or five nights. But we, we went into San Francisco, and we were walking down the street, and a cop come along and says, told us to get off of the, that part of town because they'd stick a knife in our ribs for the clothes on our back. And this was in 1952. So, you know, things were bad then, too. Wow. So now you just got back a month ago from the honor flight, and uh, when I talk about the reception back in 52, compared to the honor flight reception you got, we were there, I was there, our whole family was there. To me, that was probably one of the most, one of the neatest things I've ever seen, and the most, uh, d for, for, for you vets that, that, that uh, w went through it, so well deserved. I mean, there were complete strangers in the airport just hollering and cheering and waving flags. And uh, t so, t I guess, tell us from, from start to finish about your day on the honor flight. Well, the, the honor flight was a great experience. And uh, I, there's two planes going, I think, tomorrow from Milwaukee on the honor flight. And uh, we had to be there at 5 o'clock in the morning. and. Uh, I was going to bring that, I got the ID, everybody got IDs with their name and what group they were on and uh, Wayne Larrabee was there, he was. He went on and he was the, the, the does the broadcast, radio broadcast for the Packers. He was on the flight and um, there was a couple other guys I knew. Uh, Leo Thomas, the barber that used to be in the Grove. Yeah, you sat there. with your old buddy Leo. On yeah, the Leo, it was, yeah. Uh, we, we got there 
and uh, we got on buses and um, we went with a police escort right through red lights and everything over and toured, drove around the Arlington Cemetery and then um, we had, uh, we had, they gave us a breakfast uh, uh, sandwich there at the airport and then we had lunch on the bus and um, when we were on our way, I guess when we were in Washington there somewhere, uh, touring the cemetery and then we got off at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and I was there, visited that unknown soldier in 1951 when I was stationed out at Fort Belvoir, which is about 20 miles south of Washington. So we, we went up there and saw it then. But now they've got some, a lot of bleachers there and there was a big crowd there and, and we saw the changing of the guard and that's a lot of pomp and circumstance and there's, there's a special organization uh, of guys that do that and they do that uh, I don't know if it's every hour or every two hours they change the guard there night and day and uh, there's somebody going back and forth uh, rain or shine snow so uh, that was uh, really really inspiring and then we went over to where the Lincoln Memorial is that's been there a long time. Abe is sitting in his chair there. There are several other memorials have been constructed. The World War II Memorial, the, the Vietnam Wall with all the names of the guys that got killed in that situation, the Korean Memorial. There's the flag raising on um, Iwo Jima in World War II and uh, so we toured all of those and you know there's so it's very inspiring and I thought to myself you know these are beautiful memorials and all of that but I hope we don't ever have to have any more memorials constructed because of wars but it seems like that keeps happening mm -hmm. and you could see the the nation's capital and the Washington Monument in the distance when I was out there in 1951, uh, we walked up the, ran up the stairs to the top of the Washington Monument. There were four or five of us. I don't think you, they'd let you go up the stairs anymore. There's elevators there. But anyway, we went up the stairs. It took us about 20 minutes and we were hustling to get up there and look out the top of that. And I tell you, you see a long way from there. So I know that wrapping up here that uh, we talked about Chuck, my, my son and your grandson, he's uh, both of his grandfathers, uh, my father-in-law served in, in, in service as well. And uh, you both have inspired him and that's the reason why he, he said it numerous times, the reason why he, he decided to enlist in the guard. And uh, he's, he's very, very proud of your service and of his other grandpa's service. and. Uh, and uh, as am I, and I know you and I are both both men of, of few words, but um, I'm very proud of you, and I know our whole family is, and very proud of all the vets that, that help protect our country and give us the freedom we have. So, Dad, I'm uh, happy that we could do this, and uh, thanks to Ellie for, for helping us out here today and for actually coming up with the idea. I can't even take credit. Ellie, Ellie did that, but uh, 
thanks, Dad. Thanks for everything you've you've done for our family and for our country. And uh, appreciate uh, talking to you today about this. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to CSB Broadcast, your local connection to what's happening in your community and at Community State Bank. To learn more about Community State Bank, please visit us online at communitystatebank.net.